What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. So they'll say, okay, we've made this piece from recycled cotton, or we've made this piece from recycled plastic bottles. And that's just one tiny fraction of the large amounts of styles that they're producing. It's just a small portion of that. So the scale at which they're producing is still really big. So at the end of the day, they're not a sustainable company. They're just trying to distract you by creating a few pieces out of a sustainable material. Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's show, we are joined by Niha Aleti, the founder of Tega Collective and a passionate advocate for sustainable fashion. So today we are talking all about the world of micro trends, exploring the impacts of fast fashion, and discussing why it's critical to change our culture to be more sustainable in fashion. So Niha, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to dive into all of it. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, of course. So my name is Niha um, Ilati, and I have been in the sustainable fashion space for about eight years now, primarily focusing on sustainable fashion advocacy through the lens of cultural heritage. So trying to bring... Um, culture to the conversation of sustainability, which I feel like it hasn't been for a long time. So I kind of started out by just sharing um, just tidbits that were important to me and my culture, how we would maintain um, clothing, pass it down from grandparents to our parents, and honestly, how the production of clothing in India, so I'm from India, um, was just inherently sustainable. And a lot of that came from the fact that I've lived half my life in the U.S. and half my life in India. And so when I started off living here, to me, fashion was basically going to a mall and getting your clothes from there. And when you're, when you're a kid, you don't really realize that clothing is, or at least I didn't realize that clothing was made by people, such mass volumes of it. I thought machines made clothes, truly. When I when I moved to India, I realized that clothing is made by people, even the mass manufactured ones. And so that's kind of where I was constantly surrounding myself with just the regional textiles that were available, uh, meeting weavers and artisans, just because that culture and that ecosystem of getting to meet all of these makers in person is just so prevalent there, you're really connected to the people who are making your clothes because um, a lot of people, the, the culture is to be in contact with people that make your clothes. So with that, I just wanted to share um, more of how you can build those relationships with with your makers on um, social media. And so I started posting different things online and it kind of uh, grew from there. I remember I was probably, I think it was my trip that I went to Thailand um, in my early 20s, where I realized that even in mass-produced clothing, like someone is making that as well. Because I always right. thought, oh, wow, like Old Navy, 
you know, as an example, like there's no way that people are making that. It's a machine, but no, people are making that. And I, I think that really blew my mind. And when I went to Thailand, I had like a cust, I had a couple custom pieces made for me. Um, a dress that I still have, like I don't even know how long how long ago that was. Um, but it really changed my perspective. So it sounds like you had something, but at a, at a bigger scale because you lived that in India. You lived it. Um, so sustainable fashion is exactly what you said. Is that right? Like it's how do we buy pieces that we can pass down, that we can tie our culture into it? That's really what that sustainable fashion means? Or is there like a, another uh, part of it? Yeah, I think there's so many different ways you can approach sustainability in general and, and fashion as, as a result of that. It, it can really look so many different ways. It can be just using what you already have in your closet reconnecting to your cultural roots and uh, wearing clothing that is made with ancestral practices that use natural dyeing or natural fibers that are native to the lands that you live on. Um, It can look like using um, or wearing pieces that are made from recycled materials or upcycled materials or really thrifting um, and making sure that you're giving secondhand clothing a different life. So it can really look so many different ways. But to me, I think the core of what sustainable fashion is for me is really bringing my personal style and my personal inspirations just kind of into my wardrobe because that's what I've found has helped me just love sustainable fashion more and actually cultivate a sustainable lifestyle that's, that's, that is um, everlasting because I'm constantly uh, I'm not I'm not constantly following trends or I'm not constantly um, looking for external sources to say you know do I like this piece of clothing or do I have a connection to this piece of clothing um, I'm building my own connections to it whether it's through my culture whether it's through oh wow I found a unique find at this thrift store and that just makes me um, love this piece even more so really building a personal style and creating your own connections to it I think is what sustainable fashion at its very core is to me. And what about micro trends? What is that? Like, and, and how do they influence the fashion industry? Yeah. So, micro trends are really just very, very quick trend cycles. So, I think typically for years, trends have been following that fashion calendar of um, seasonal um, collections. Mm-hmm. So, there probably would be four collections per year that brands would. Um, churn out. And within the last 20 years, I would say with the rise of fast fashion, maybe 30 years, those trend cycles have gotten a lot quicker. So um, uh, collections would be dropped every week almost with brands like Zara and H&M. And so I think that's where the trend cycles have gotten even quicker. And then now with TikTok, Instagram, a lot of these social media platforms, we're seeing that viral videos have shortened the trend cycles even more because people say there's a certain piece from a brand that becomes very popular. People are very overexposed to that certain garment um, with so many people posting videos about it. And then like just like that, within a month or two, that piece goes out of style very quickly with that overexposure and popularity. And I think fast fashion brands have already started shortening their trend cycles even more to fit the social media algorithm. So they're both very much feeding 
into each other. So that, that's what microtrends, at least um, to me, are what um, I would say. Yeah. And fast fashion, because you mentioned that a couple of times, it just means like, instead of having a fall collection, a spring, summer, mm-hmm. it's like, what can go viral? How many people can buy it? This is in. And then next month, it's like, what's the next thing? Is that how you would describe fast fashion? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one aspect of fast fashion. Um, okay. I would say to me, fast fashion is basically garments um, that are made really quickly, really cheaply, and by typically exploiting labor to get that cheap price and that mm. quick, uh, I guess, return with the product. So that's essentially why it's called fast. And now I guess fast fashion has been made even faster with the idea of microtrends and so pretty much anything made from sheen. <laughs> pretty much. And the scale is usually really big as well. <laughs> For me, I always tell my girls this too. It's like I might spend a little bit more on a piece of clothing. Um, I'm not buying it just to wear it one time or two times. Like I'm really thoughtful about my pieces and my statement pieces and I want them in there for a while and I want them to last. I want it to be high quality. Um, But I have, I'm just not one of those people that really falls to the, what are the five influencers that I'm following wearing? Let me put them all in my cart. Bye, 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 bye. Like the click, really trying to click and buy. I'm very, (laughs) my husband, uh, laughs at me because I'll have my car open for maybe like a month or two before, and I'll just keep adding stuff to it and then I'll review it and I'll remove it and I'll review it. And I'm just, cause I'm like, I really want to love this thing that I'm buying and I want to know that I'm going to use it in a variety of ways. And I'm not just going to be like, Oh, I like that jacket. Okay. Bye. But I, I totally see this theme of like instant gratification, right? Like have it at your door, super fast, overnight it, get get 20 different shirts for $200, wear them wherever you want. Um, it's, it's very overwhelming, I think. Do you see that being a problem as well? Yeah, for sure. The, the way that you can instantly get pieces and, and the way production cycles have just shortened has really increased the way people consume. People can really buy so much more. And then of course, with the price, really get things shipped to their door without really much, many, many repercussions because they can also return it for free. Right. Um, and so they, that really has increased the way that they, they consume for sure. Did you know that we spend about 90% of our time indoors? And according to the EPA, our indoor air can be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air sometimes even a hundred times more. That's concerning, especially considering nearly half of the population lives in areas with unhealthy air quality. The WHO even reported that air pollution contributes to nearly 7 million premature deaths worldwide each year. I recently had this eye-opening moment with my own Air Doctor air purifier when I decided it was time to change the filters, and oh boy, was I surprised. The amount of stuff it had filtered out from our indoor air was astonishing. It really got me thinking about the air we breathe every day. We take around 20,000 breaths per day, breathing in almost 3,000 gallons of air that could be filled with allergens like pollen, pet dander, dust mite, and even mold. So how do we combat this invisible threat? Easy. The solution is Air Doctor. 
the air purifier that's been making headlines in CNN, Money, ABC, and more. Air Doctor isn't just any air purifier. It uses an ultra-HEPA filter independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested bacteria and viruses. It's so efficient that it can capture particles as tiny as 0.003 microns. Their classic Air Doctor 3000 model is a powerhouse, circling air in a 630-plus square foot room four times every hour. And for a limited time, using my promo code BBB at airdoctorpro.com, you can save up to 40% off or up to $300 off depending on the model. That's right, up to 40% off or $300 off. Just go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use my promo code BBB to grab this amazing offer. Breathe easy and keep your indoor air clean with Air Doctor. How do you think influencers play a role, like fashion, beauty influencers play a role in this as well? Um, They definitely play a big role. A lot of people look up to them for different trends to follow or different brands to um, look up to. And I think in more than just that, there's just this idea of aspiration that's just tied to a lot of influencers or even models and celebrities people aspire to at least look like them or you know at least get to Mm. um, some kind of or wearing clothes that they that they're wearing essentially trying to get that aesthetic as 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 a lot of people want Um, so I think that definitely plays a really big role in why people are over consuming and and um really just not really cultivating that personal style. So that that's why I talk about cultivating a personal style so much is when a lot of this is external and it's tied to the aspiration of of wanting to have as many disposable clothes as an influencer does or have as many options as celebrities do. I think a lot of people don't realize that influencers are sent a lot of clothing and celebrities are yeah. renting or stylists are pulling a lot of pieces <laughs> from uh, different brands and that they themselves probably don't own more than half of what they're wearing. So I think when people start understanding that a little better, um, hopefully that'll help. But I also really think we need to change what we aspire to. That's I've been seeing that a lot with a lot of people in the sustainable fashion space or in the sustainability space, really helping pushing that change of what we aspire to. And I have seen a lot of people now aspiring to a more sustainable lifestyle. So when we make that cool versus making, um, you know, uh, the, the trends and, and the, and the um, celebrity status cool, I think that's kind of where we'll see a shift. And I'm seeing some of that shift happening, especially with the younger generation. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the long-term effects on the industry and consumer from this fast fashion behavior? Yeah, well, long-term effects, I mean, there will be way too many. I mean, there's already way too many clothes that we can handle, right? (laughs) Um, So right now, clothes are being produced and discarded at insanely high rates. And of course, that's just going to get even worse if we continue with with this model. A lot of people might not know is that a lot of the clothes that they might think that they're donating to someone else or they are giving to a thrift store... 
a lot of the excess clothing that isn't bought or that people don't want are often shipped to countries in the global south. So countries like Ghana, in um, Africa, or even in India, um, and in Vietnam as well, where they are dumped in landfills. And so I think the long-term effects, um, we, we've already been facing them, uh, but it would just probably be uh, a, a lot worse and, and beyond our planetary bounds that, that, can, that they can handle. So, and of course, more than just that, I feel like so many or so many times people just focus on the waste and using more eco-friendly fibers when they talk about the long-term effects of fast fashion. But we often forget to really emphasize the human cost around it as well, just because yeah. I, I think a lot of people tend to dissociate when it comes to that. And they tend to empathize more when it comes to waste or when it's related to a, an eco-friendly fabric, which is just a very interesting thing in, a, in and of itself. And I do think hopefully with some storytelling and with some more research, we can get to that point where we are able to push, maybe um, hit people in the heart with the human cost to the, way, to the level that we want to. Yes, the, the long-term effects are, of course, just abusive factory workers, unlovable wages, um, these kinds of systems have already been just become a part of the way that fashion does it, does its work. And I, I think it would probably just get even, even worse if we continue this way. So hopefully we can really strike a chord with people more when we do talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, what are some common misconceptions about sustainable fashion that you see and would love to clarify? Yeah, um, I think there's quite a lot. Number one is just greenwashing, and that can come in so many different mm. forms. But usually when brands are selling something and calling it sustainable, and what I've noticed, especially with fast fashion brands, is that they will choose one thing for a for a consumer to focus on so they'll say okay we've made this piece from recycled cotton or um we've made this piece from plastic water recycled plastic bottles and that's just one tiny fraction of the large amounts of styles that they're producing it's just a small portion of that so the scale at which they're producing is still really big so at the end of the day, they're not a sustainable company. They're just trying to distract you by creating a few pieces out of a sustainable material. And then at the end of the day, they're still not disclosing the labor, the wages that they're paying their um, garment workers or where the factories are and who the middlemen are, of course. They're not being transparent. So that's that's something that I've noticed a trend of is just focusing on the materials and really not disclosing anything else. So I think greenwashing is definitely a, a big one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It would be great to like on the website, have tours, a virtual tours of your factories for everybody to see. You really right. do have to dig in and do the research. Yeah. Um, because I've been, uh, I have definitely bought something that was greenwashed for my baby. And then I realized that, 
exactly what you said. It was just this line or, you know, that it wasn't something that their whole entire company or their model did. It was just Mm -hmm. that one thing that I was buying. And you really have to dig in to find that. And if you're only searching for like, I don't know, like certain kind of sweater or a onesie or pants, if you're only, if you, and it reaches you to that SERP and you're looking at it and you're like, wow, this is a great company and you buy it versus looking through and doing the the actual research on the company. So yeah, it's really easy to fall victim to greenwashing for sure. My two girls are in Spanish immersion and boy, have they really started to pick up their Spanish. So I've started to begin a mission to brush up on my own Spanish. They're getting so advanced that I need to keep up. And that's where Babbel, the science-backed language learning app, comes in. It's been my go-to for re-educating myself in Spanish. And let me tell you, it's working wonders. So be a better you in 2024 with Babbel. Forget about those expensive private tutors or hours spent in ineffective apps. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are a game changer, especially for busy moms like me. It's designed by over 150 language experts with lessons that have me starting to speak Spanish again in just three weeks. It's practical, real-life learning, perfect for real conversations, and the best part? Babbel's lessons are rooted in real-life situations, and their conversation-based teaching means I'm ready to practice what I've learned in the real world. So whether it's ordering food, asking for directions, or chatting with merchants, Babbel's made it easy for me. I am super impressed with their speech recognition technology. It's like having my own personal language coach helping me nail my pronunciation and accent. Studies, including ones from Yale and Michigan State University, have proven that Babbel works. Just 15 hours on Babbel is equivalent to a full semester at college. So here is an amazing opportunity for you. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners. So head over to babbel.com slash BBB, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BBB for 55% off. With Babbel, language learning isn't just effective. It's enjoyable and totally doable. So join me and millions of Babbel users worldwide. And let's make 2024 the year we become multilingual. How can individuals start to make an impact in the in the um, fashion industry, but also in their own closet? What are some things that they can start to do now? Yeah, there are so many things. And something that I've noticed, at least when we are trying to bring individuals into this movement, is that Sharing the truth is really important and sharing statistics and all of that is really important. But sometimes, and a lot of the times actually, fear is not the best way to motivate people. What I've noticed is a lot of people love to feel like they're actually doing something when they're purchasing a, a piece of clothing or when they're engaging in a certain practice. They want to feel some benefit of it in the moment. It might not be a direct benefit, but okay, like I'm, I'm doing something for, for the environment or I'm doing something um, for this brand. I'm making some kind of impact. And that's kind of what brings a large group of people into the movement is, is what I've noticed or um, a few things from a few things I've studied. So 
For me, in terms of actually with the fashion industry, I think there's so many incredible organizations online doing really great work, like uh, Remake, for example. They always have really great petitions that you can easily sign with bare, like minim- minimal effort, just going and signing a petition um, and making sure that... Well, what they do a lot of times is they call out brands that are not publishing certain stats, or maybe they haven't paid their workers, especially during COVID. A lot of people canceled orders to factories in, in other countries. And so they were trying to get people to pay them, um, or they were trying to get the companies to pay the, them back. And so petitions like mm-hmm. that are just probably the easiest way that you can get involved and in kind of getting just with a community and an organization. And of course, there's different legislation that's now coming into play. I think one of the biggest problems for so long is the um, the lack of regulation in the fashion industry globally. And then, of course, especially within the U.S., there's a large undocumented workforce that is creating your clothing in Los Angeles. So usually when things say they're made in the United States, that's where it's coming from. And it is largely unregulated. Only recently, there was a bill passed where they were trying to help um, remove the piece rate for a lot of garment workers. So they were being paid by piece of clothing that they were able to make versus being paid a minimum wage per hour. So there are bills like that that you can get behind and vote for. And the most recent, there's the Fabric Act that is currently, has a lot of attention on it that you can go and um, try and figure out, I guess, there's just ma- there's many calls to actions. If, if you go to the Fabric Act website, uh, they're trying to just build a lot more regulation into uh, the industry. And I think it's based in New York, or the act is being passed in New York right now. So yeah, just getting involved in that way too. You don't realize, but you can actually vote on things that are fashion related too. So I would say those are some things that might be more industry level. And then on a personal daily basis, and the way you can incorporate it into your lifestyle is there's a philosophy that I kind of follow or like a set of steps that I follow when I am um, just looking for a new item or I, or just what I, what I like to do when I'm thinking about sustainable fashion. So first, I like to look in my closet and see if there's a piece that I haven't worn in a while could I rewear it? Um, I think the most sustainable thing you can do is shop your own closet, first of all. And then from there, if um, I'm craving something new, I'll go to a sister's closet or a friend's closet or a parent's closet, see what I can use from there. After that, I'll see, are there pieces that I can upcycle or mend? Is there something that has a hole and that's the reason I'm not wearing it? Or could I add um, a patch to make it more interesting? Could I um, take two shirts that might go together and turn it into a whole new shirt? And I think there's a lack of a lot of um, education around upskilling yourself with um, learning how to sew or learning how to embroider or maybe even mending a piece. So um, if you can, I would encourage you to maybe just take a mending class or, or looking online. Mending is a lot easier than you think it is. Upcycling definitely requires a little more skill, right? But mending is definitely not as hard as it seems. Take it from me. I'm not someone who really knows how to sew that well. Um, but yeah, those are the 
different first things that I do with pieces that I already have. And then if I'm really craving something new or something that I know I could find at a thrift store, um, I will typically go to a thrift store from there and have a list, have a plan of maybe some basics that I know I'll find, some jeans or pants or a dress, something that I'm looking for and have that planned out and go to the thrift store. It's also more affordable than buying something new and you're also giving something a second life. I think a lot of the times people think sustainable fashion is quote-unquote expensive, but usually it's because the garment workers deserve to be paid that much and they're trying to pay them fairly. But you can make sustainable fashion more affordable for yourself just by buying less and buying well and um, giving other pieces a second life. So that's kind of what I do. And then when I really do want a new piece, I've already saved so much money from, you know, swapping and mending and going to thrift stores that I have saved up a piece maybe to purchase from a sustainable brand in case, you know, I am looking to make that splurge, which I feel like a lot of the times I see people who are buying so much fast fashion, they usually are able to afford a piece of sustainable um, clothing if, if they are purchasing it in a, in a haul form. And th- sometimes they'll, they'll be wearing like a Gucci bag and then they'll just wear a Forever 21 dress. And I'm like, you can clearly afford to, you know, uh, support a sustainable fashion brand, but it's, you know, the name brands that they're, that they're kind of after. So kind of redirecting your um, purchases from quote unquote traditional luxury, which honestly, a lot of them are still using fast fashion practices today and redirecting that to a sustainable brand instead, if you are already purchasing in that kind of price bracket. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of how I, I approach it. I love those tips and tangible um, things that we can do. Mm-hmm. Let me share with you my family's latest culinary adventure with Green Chef the number one meal kit for eating well. With our bustling household, it's been a challenge to find meals that are both healthy and engaging for the kids. But Green Chef has changed all of that. Green Chef is all about clean eating and living. Their chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes are packed with certified organic fruits and veggies. And you know what? It's made our family dinners not just healthier, but also a whole lot more fun. My kids have been loving helping me in the kitchen. The recipes are so easy to follow with step-by-step instructions and pictures, making it a breeze for them to get involved and learn about healthy eating. We've been exploring Green Chef's diverse menu, choosing from over 80 delicious options each week, including keto, vegan, and gluten-free meals. It's like a culinary adventure in every box. And the premium quality? Oh, it's top-notch. We're talking farm fresh ingredients and organic whole fruits and veggies. But there's more. Green Chef's new gut and brain health meal plan has been a revelation. It's packed with nutritious dinners, clean snacks, and functional drinks that are not just tasty, but also boost our overall well-being. It's amazing to see the kids enjoy meals that are good for their body and brain. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh. And with a wider array of meal plans to choose from, there's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands, and now my listeners can enjoy both brands at a discount with me. So here's an exciting offer for you. Go to greenchef.com slash 60BBB and use my code 60BBB to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. 
go to G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F dot com slash 60BBB and use my code 60BBB. That's an incredible deal on meals that are great for your taste buds and your health. I know that you have your own collection, the Tega collection. Uh, what is yes. what is Tega collection or what does Tega mean and what um, what inspired you to start it? Yeah, so Tega is um, a word in my mother tongue, Telugu, which is from the south of India. And it means tribe. And it also means thread. It has a double meaning. And mm. the reason I thought it was just such a perfect word is because we work with indigenous communities in India. And of course, it's a fashion brand. So thread me makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so that's kind of how the name came about. And what really inspired me to start it is I was speaking on a panel with a group of Adivasi youth. And Adivasi means indigenous in, in India. And they mentioned that a big problem that they've noticed um, just in the environmental space and the craft sector is that a lot of their craft is ripped off and mass produced by non-Indigenous people, even within India mm. and outside of India by big brands like Moschino, for example. They ripped off the Rabari community in India. And so um, I, I think it was about a few years ago that they did that in 2018. So there is a lot of appropriation within and outside um, and they're being put out of work for their own craft because um, it's being mass produced. So that's where the idea kind of sparked, where we wanted to bring the profits back to the communities that it belonged to. We wanted to bring the craft recognition back to the communities that it belonged to. And so with each collection, we collaborate with a different community. Or um, if the community is interested in doing multiple collections together, we're definitely open to doing that. And the collections are made with their native fibers that they use, their native plant dyes that are local to the regions that they, um, that they uh, live in. And of course, the different embroideries that they use, maybe the different dyeing techniques and um, just textile techniques in general that they do. So with our first collection, we work with the Lambani community and they're based in Southern India. And they are known for their bright colors and their ornate embroidery. And so that's really what we wanted to embody, of course, is the essence of what they are in our first collections. So everything is really brightly colored and brightly embroidered. And they do a lot of the textile designing themselves and even the color selections. It's a very collaborative process. And then um, we all design the silhouettes of the actual garments. So that's kind of how that mm. collaboration happens. And then they, of course, something that we've noticed in a lot of fashion brands for the most part is there is no wealth distribution, really. Um, usually CEOs or designers at the top are, are paid the most. And of course, they, they pay the garment workers the least. And I think a lot of businesses are structured that way. But for us, we wanted to reimagine how we could distribute wealth within a collective and a business, um, especially when the communities that are involved should really have a stake in their own work. So 18% of the profits go back to the communities on top of what they're already paid. And 3% of that goes towards land back initiatives. For example, um, our first community lives near a mining belt 
the government has chosen to mine near where they live, uh, iron specifically. So how can we help them in their fight for their land back? So that's kind of where a lot of the 18% of the profits go as well. And uh, yeah, essentially that's that's what we do. That's so inspiring. Honestly, like I really do wish that more companies did that um, because, you know, you're going to make profit, but give back, especially to the people who are helping you in your success. And that doesn't just have to stay in the fashion industry. That's just business in general. Yeah, that wealth distribution model is is pretty awesome. So what what's your vision for its future? Yeah, something that we've been trying to build out a little more is our Indigenous Knowledge Hub. So we want to educate beyond just the craft, but also about the communities, just create a sort of media hub where people can go and learn more about the communities um, and the work that they do, and even just have a space where they can document they can start to document things in the way that they want to, whether it's through videos, photos, spoken word, you know, whatever makes sense to them. Just because a lot of what they have is oral histories that are just passed down. And so our goal is to kind of document a lot of it out in the future. And then, of course, we have plans with um, different communities for our next two, three collections One of them is using lotus stem fabric or fibers to create fabric, really exploring different um, textiles that are native to the communities, but a lot of people might not know of. Kind of how I guess people are excited about mango leather and cactus leather and things like that. Um, A lot of those are newer concepts, but there's a lot of older ancestral fabrics that are really interesting that people don't really know about. So really exploring that and... Yeah, just trying to highlight um, more and more communities as, as we do this. That's really cool. So where can people find you or find the Tega Collection if they want to take a look at it um, or if they want to ask you some questions about how can they support more sustainable fashion? Yeah, of course. So you can find Tega Collective. We're on Instagram. We have a website. So Instagram is just at T-E-G-A Collective. Um, and website is tegacollective.com. And then for me, I'm always just creating a new video or writing a new post about just different things in the sustainable fashion world, uh, different petitions you can sign, um, different ways that industries are linked, the fossil fuel industry and fashion, or just agriculture and fashion, for example. So I'm always trying to learn more and, and share it with everyone. And so on my platform... Um, you can find me on Instagram at Niha Eleti, so N-I-H-A-E-L-E-T-Y. And um, yeah, that's how you can find me. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. really appreciate the conversation. And then something I always ask is, if you could give listeners one piece of advice from today's episode, what would it be? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated being here. And if I could give them one piece of advice, I would say... A lot of the times, spaces like this feel really overwhelming. And I would say take it all one step at a time. And I truly think that's how you'll be able to make it a better habit for yourself. And if you want to start being more sustainable with fashion, take it one step at a time and always find your personal connection to it. I really think that when you have 
an avenue that works for you or an interest um, or a passion in the sustainability space and you follow that, that's where you truly are able to make that impact. So that's where, uh, that's the advice I would say. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being with us. All right. Thank you so much. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Badass Basic Bitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week.